I'm Sonia Derman. And I'm Maria Stabio. This is 2MF on Clock Tower Radio, clocktower.org. 2MF is a series of community meetings, open and participatory experiences that we organize, collaborating with selected New York City artists. 2MF aims to encourage pro-emotive and anti-academic conversation amongst artists living in New York City. All meetings are free and open to the public. For more information, visit the number 2manyfeelings.com. Post-meeting discussion occurs here on Clock Tower Radio. Episodes feature conversations with 2MF's facilitating artists reflecting on the recent in-person meeting. We are pleased to put together a special post-election episode where we discuss how artists can respond to the current events and the political climate. In 2MF, we investigate the intersections between artistic practices and daily life and thought it was essential to discuss how the traditional role of the artist might take on a new life with new responsibilities in this current shithole of a situation. (laughs) We are pleased to have Joshua Smith and Amy Beecher here with us, who have formerly been guests and facilitating artists for 2MF. So to do a bit of a recap of the last time that we spoke with you guys, um, we spoke with Joshua Smith last December. He's an artist based in New York and a co-founder of Essex Flowers, a collectively run gallery. We uh, specifically thought of inviting you for this episode because um, of your awareness and interests in artists as political actors and agents. Um, specifically, your history with artists organizing the Freeze Art Fair and in the run-up to the election, your um, your projects that I hope that you can speak more about. Um, you're also very vocal about your support for Bernie Sanders and then supported Hillary Clinton after the primary. And we also spoke with Amy Beecher in April, who is an artist based in Providence and New York City. She recently returned from a residency at the McDowell Colony, where she built upon ideas from her 2MF meeting at Torrance Shipman Gallery. Amy, we thought of you for this episode given your strong background in women's studies and the use of feminist ideas in your artwork. We saw parallels between the archetypes of Kathy the comic strip and the perception of Hillary Clinton in the media. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So our first question, uh, we wanted to touch upon an idea that we talked about with you first, Joshua, and maybe do you want to talk more about it, Sonia? Yeah, um, I think one of our very first meetings our, our first meeting was about Lee Lozano's dropout piece and some of her writing, one of her quotes was, "I a proposition of being human first and artist second. And I think this was a quote that we both talked about in our last discussion um, and we're mulling over. And so I wanted to bring this up again and ask, what do you think this means now, like negotiating your identity and your role as like an artist and as a person in this really urgent situation. Right. Sure. And welcome to the show. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, thanks for, for having me. Diving straight in. Yeah. Uh, uh, thanks for having me on again. Um, and it's nice to meet you, Amy. 
yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, my my the as always, I feel like uh, I or one experiences the world right uh, initially, uh, and then has to kind of like go about translating that experience, however, however they need to uh, into their into their artwork. Um, and or translating some other mission into their artwork or something. But for me, if, of course, and I think for a lot of people, you know, you, you are out there first as like the key uh, uh, nerve ending, um, um, you know, responding to various stimuli. <laughs> and yeah. uh, you can use your artwork to respond to that as well. Um, so this is uh, an appropriate time to talk about that. Um, I don't know. Do you want to touch? Should I? I want to let Amy to say something before sure. I, before um, too long, but <laughs> well, nice to meet you too, question, Josh. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the things I was reminded of when you were talking about the Lilo's on a dropout piece was um, the, the sentiment that I've heard among a lot of my very progressive liberal um, network of friends and also other artists of the idea of dropping out for the next four years and mm -hmm. sort of living in some sort of a bubble. It was just a linguistic tie. And, I, and then I started thinking about, you know, well, what are your responsibilities? Um, do, is it responsible, socially responsible to live in a bubble and sort of take care of yourself and put on your oxygen mask if that's going to be um, your oxygen mask? Or are there other mm -hmm. um, responsibilities for living in a, an autocracy <laughs> like mm -hmm. this? And there was actually a wonderful article in the New York Review of Books um, by, uh-oh, Mian, I'll figure it out. We'll put we'll put it, we'll put it in. Okay, okay. I'll figure it <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah, um, well, That's why I that's why I wanted. Well, anyhow, that article and I think it was it's called something like "Instructions on Living in an Autocracy." Right. Talked about mm -hmm. how to be um, how you had to maintain this level of outrage if you wanted to survive the next four years. And right. I think that artists in particular, because we have this platform for self expression, are particularly able to and also responsible for maintaining that level of outrage whether your work is you know consciously politically oriented quote unquote or not so do you yeah. feel like it's maybe i guess this is a question for both of you more of a responsibility or do you feel more of an obligation because you already have a um a sustained practice as an artist and a voice that kind of it's essential that you in some way speak directly or indirectly to what's going on well i think it's a little bit hairy if you start talking about what the roles of every artist are. yeah um but i think artists many artists are lucky um because we have these sort of wide networks that we work so carefully to build right and and communities and, and built-in audiences you know if, if you've been if you're lucky that's what you have as an artist especially in a major city so i guess what i'm saying is it's a really um awful time but a good time to be outraged and you're positioned well uh, as an artist to be outraged if you have those things in place. Right. I think we're really good at propaganda. And uh, I, th I think that we're like particularly like well suited for, 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 for messaging. And mm -hmm. um, we are also kind of like off the hook of like basic media norms where mm -hmm. like you mm -hmm. wish the guy on NPR could uh, lace into the white supremacist guest totally. uh, yes. more right. than yes. <laughs> or not have them on. We but, don't or have maybe to remain should, objective. They, yeah, but like mm -hmm. there's this there is this kind of like old school media where we're like divided between this like old school media 
and this sort of new school media of like, I mean, that's like obviously simple, but like this like uh, feigned uh, objectivity mm -hmm. and then uh, split against uh, pure uh, like emotive um, um, theater visceral uh, uh, right. performance mm -hmm. uh, politics on, yeah. on screen with like Keith Olbermann or Rachel Maddow or something. And uh, mm -hmm. the position, I mean, luckily, I think that like artists are like particularly well suited to um, flail mm -hmm. in public. And uh, mm. we can then, <laughs> this rhymes, but what I was going to say, we can then subsequently <laughs> fail. <laughs> I didn't mean to do that, but it's what, mm. but, uh, but it is, but it is it's something that we're, we're, we're uh, adept at. Totally. In general. Um, so I, I do feel like that that is a, a major asset that artists have. And then they do then ostensibly have a uh, platform uh, to communicate to other people at this point. Like once you have some degree of, um, you know, when, of a certain age as an artist, you know, like people will, will know to look to you for um, um, imagery and uh, media. And so then you may as well assess the current climate. I think. Yeah, mm -hmm. I was going to say that I I personally feel like after the whole election took place and even now I feel like it's gotten it's it's taken this much time to really get to this point where I'm actually kind of accepting this as some kind of um um level of outrage like you're saying where you have to maintain a a consistent awareness which is actually really taxing but it's important. Um and then I've thought a lot about how this, there's been talk about how Donald Trump uses this language that is um, is purposefully emotive and makes and makes one feel emotions that are obviously manipulative, but that's kind of this tactic of like this kind of fascistic um, dictator type um, in terms of like history, and that's that's a tactic that's used. And I think about the way that we try to promote people expressing. Um, emotions and, and ideas that they probably normally wouldn't in a pro more professional artist setting and how we are um, we're trying to break past that barrier of artist professionalism a little bit or challenge it in a way that feels like new and exciting and so I thought about that and I was like what does that mean you know but I also think that like it's important to keep that um, that a level of outrage like you're talking about in a more productive way because I actually feel like Democrats in general I would think I don't know if I was mm -hmm. telling you about yeah. this but I was like it feels like we have to be more angry because I, I right. felt like during this election it was like people were so passive I was passive I was like it's fine we got it in the bag it's all good like Hillary's gonna win you know and every time someone said something to me that felt like it was alarming I was like you know what you're gonna lose anyways no problem right and now mm -hmm. I'm just like I am so mad like I'm just like I'm just I really want to like do something about it um and that's scary for me because i'm like am i turning into some kind of like conspiracy theorist like <laughs> nut or something you know but like maybe i don't know what do you guys think like have you been how have you been dealing with your emotions oh i am i've been called hysterical multiple times oh really <laughs> oh okay that's yeah. a loaded but that's, that's a loaded that's, term uh, it's a very loaded term <laughs> but i think um well i think that that the feeling that maybe uh I mean, it sounds like Maria, you're describing this feeling of paranoia and like feeling on guard and really threatened. Yeah. And um, that's a really difficult 
emotion to maintain for the next four years. Mm -hmm. So on the one hand, it's like, well, how do I how do I figure out how to live as a person and as an artist that can actually communicate with other people and not crumble? How to take care of your mental health? But on the other, I think one mm -hmm. of the easiest ways to try and maintain your sanity is by accepting um, or and normalizing behaviors um, that that seem low threat. And and I think that that's you know. Mm -hmm. Artists and Democrats in particular have to really be on guard about what they accept as normal. Like even, you know, Donald Trump um, co-opting the term safe space is one of those mm. things that really got under my skin. When right. The whole Hamilton. Right. Oh, the theater. Mm -hmm. yeah. oh, the theater should be a safe space. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the theater should be a safe space. You know, in terms of what 2MF right. does, totally. too, it's, it's like, oh, gosh, I've got to fight for the, for the term safe space now. Yeah. You didn't even realize that was a, a possible battle. Yeah. And that and it's scary. It can really it's make really you feel scary. like what else is up for grabs? And um, when everything's up for grabs, one one yes. could lose their mind and become hysterical. You know. Yeah. I want to like hit on this point that you talked about, kind of having this, and and then the the, the premise of two MF that's built into a lot of its texts is like uh, this idea of this kind of like pro emotive, anti academic uh, conversation as like a as like a it's free form and and we can all kind of like let loose. Uh, if you're able to you and on this on this on this channel the and then and then going back into this conversation about donald trump and like his sort of communicating and dog whistles and, mm -hmm. and, and throughout the throughout the campaign and in uh, it's like the term of the of the campaign but the uh and in in uh intentionally emotive from the hip kind of language mm -hmm. that uh, uh, he showed like no real yeah. regard to always being able to sort of like say like, look, that was, well, I screwed that up. If he like made Just a real like, major I, I blunder. I say how I feel. Yeah. That's and if he made like a huge argument. blunder, he would be like, that was a joke. Yeah, <laughs> or, it like, was all like, a joke. Yeah. And that's what you do if you like say something really offensive to a good friend. You're like, wow, I was joking, you know? Uh, and I think that... Um, yeah to kind of like tap into, you know, like structural uh, lessons that we could learn from the election uh, and from 2MF. Uh, it might be that we could all stand to be a bit more, uh, uh, not I want to say anti-academic or like anti-intellectual, but it might be that we could all stand to be like, uh, yet an, a, a touch more vernacular mm. and a touch more populist in our appeals to uh, the community at large because it's like we can have a completely elevated conversation with like, you know, the raddest, about the raddest contemporary philosopher or something, but mm -hmm. like you right. How also is that really need to sort of like get down other... with um, people at large. Yeah. And um, that's that's something that he, 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 was he is really at. good at. Yeah. He's successful at. Yeah. I guess um, relating to this, question about how we communicate I've had a feeling and not that I didn't have that before but that before the election um, I was definitely in this echo chamber where everyone had the same roughly the same viewpoint or on the spectrum of the same viewpoint as me mm -hmm. um, and that was another reason I was so shocked and all the artists I know I mean I didn't know any Trump supporters um, but now that the election has happened, how do we engage in a way and communicate in a way that isn't just preaching to the choir or to our artist friends, to the communities who have the same viewpoints? And that's something that I've been struggling with. Like, how do you get out of these 
limited spheres or is it important? Yeah, well, I think it's important. I mean, I think we should all move to Florida. It's a smart. Yeah. And it's not, frankly, that was not my first reaction. I am. Um, I'm applying to different academic jobs right now, and I was at that residency that you mentioned, McDowell, and a friend of mine, I was complaining about applying to a job in Florida, actually, a few days mm. after the election, and she said, Amy, it is your responsibility <laughs> to apply for that job. And I think she was kidding around, but then I thought about it more, and I was like, you know, if every New Yorker who was fed up with the price of their rent and was thinking about moving to Hudson thought about moving to Ohio, Florida, you know, right. Alaska, um, who knows what it could might happen. change some minds. Yeah, totally. Sure. I mean, I think to, to, to add to that, uh, there is something uh, I used to, I used to think that there was like preaching to the choir inside of an art gallery until I worked in one. And mm. then it occurred to me that the vast majority of people in New York, at least, and uh, that the vast majority of people who came into the gallery were totally like upper crust white people. And mm-hmm. um, prior to that, when I was in college, I went to college in Detroit. And prior to coming to New York, uh, I I had convinced myself that you were that the fine art community in general was definitely preaching to the choir on sort of progressive uh, leftist politics. Hmm. Until I encountered like more than a handful of not just collectors but also uh, other artists, and uh, predominantly that's what I'm more interested in. Uh, other artists and you know uh, institutional institutional administrators. Uh, that it occurred to me that like there were like the uh, like the number of black people I saw inside the the fine art gallery I worked at in New York um, was un, un unfathomably mm-hmm. small com- you know compared to the number of white people I was I was I mean completely mm-hmm. I mean I was completely astonished I just thought that like that in New York City a fine art gallery was gonna it have this sort of flow of traffic that was much more akin to say like the MoMA or something, which has right. probably got better, you know, that actually uh, represents audience. And so I used to really believe in this idea of preaching to the converted until I was like, Oh my God, wow. Actually the people who are showing up at these events are not hmm. who you think they are. And they're not the same crowd that was coming in Detroit necessarily. And uh, so, yeah, now I do kind of feel a little bit uh, less that way that there is this sort of totally converted audience and uh, further that we also have channels available to us via social media and the other kind of like contemporary uh, things like that uh, that um, do put us in dialogue uh, perhaps with our families or our uh, friend bases that might not be in mm. you know these metropolitan uh, uh, liberal enclaves, even from Michigan, like that Michigan didn't 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 vote for Hillary, right. which uh, I was not at all surprised about. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, you know, uh, half like if I'm on Facebook, I wasn't on Facebook for years and years. I I, I was, then I was off, and then I was like, I should get back on right before mm-hmm. the election. I was like, the only because <laughs> oh, it occurred God. to me that all my buddies from high school were there, mm-hmm. you right. know, and I hated that forum. I always hated that channel, and uh, I got back on in advance of the election until I, I wanted to post a fucking Hillary screed or two. That was, that was like, don't vote for Trump. Oh my God, I can't believe we're this close in Michigan. What is going on? Mm-hmm. But like mm-hmm. I had a few hundred old buddies from high school in Flint. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, that, that was one of the reasons I, I, I turned that thing back on was because I knew that there was a, a at least a tiny reservoir of Fl- Flint area, Michigan people there. Mm-hmm. And I've, it, it was my so responsibility. Was, you were trying to reach out to them. Yeah, in like yeah. the most passive way. In hindsight, I'm like, that yeah. was the worst. I'm mean, not the worst thing I could do, but 
it was barely effectual, but I still felt like I could put, I, you should turn those channels on. Like if I have 500 Michigan people over here, I should turn right. that channel on. Right. No, <laughs> I was, I was going to say, I really want to get to this question about gender dynamics in the election because Amy's here and um, you have so much knowledge about women's oh. history and women's studies. And um, <laughs> I don't, I mean, I hope you're, that's relative, hope you're okay maybe. too. <laughs> um, maybe more knowledge than I do, but what was unexpected about it and what was surprising? Well, wait, can we go back to, I think that you said something earlier in the introduction about comparing Hillary Clinton to Kathy, which yeah. I thought was That was our, really, I don't want to put really that on Did you. Did you guys do that? Or was but, that something yeah, that Amy? That was definitely we, not yeah, something that no. I have I thought that of. you were referencing like an artwork of Amy's that I didn't know. Oh. No, well, well, I am working I on a Kathy. project. Oh, talking, yeah. I've been talking oh, well, about Kathy like nonstop in my house for like the last month. Really? That's so Coincidentally. Funny. So I There's was like, oh man, does Amy have this Kathy I artwork? Do. I do. So yeah. I do. Okay. I just, yeah. I, yeah, I just finished a big part of it. Okay. That's awesome. Plug for me. Yeah. Yes. That's, That's cool. That. Grin in Providence, yeah. Rhode Island. Yeah. yeah. May. It's Ooh. coming out. Anyhow, but that, I was just thinking like, what are the similarities that you um, are trying to draw upon between Kathy and Hillary Clinton? And then we can get back to like the other larger um, gender dynamics. I mean, and, yeah. Um, I think maybe what they have in common is that both of them are like constantly negotiating with the patriarchy. And mm. that one of the things that I think a lot of um, my liberal um, network was really angry about was was Hillary's um, maybe uh, all too willingness to make those sorts of negotiations. Um, and, and to the point where she was sort of erasing herself, it felt like. Uh, and I, I think that she and Kathy have a similar uh, tendency toward that. It's a kind of interesting abstract idea. I mean, I think Hillary Hillary is also really um, very close to, or sort of you know, power adjacent, as they say, right? She's almost there. And Kathy is is this woman who's you know by all means very privileged. She's white. She has a good job, um, and yet she keeps on like failing and shooting herself in the foot. And so there's this sort of feeling of being close to power but not quite getting it. That's really uh, you know, there's that parallel too. And now there's all these interesting, um, I'm really obsessed. I was posting this on my Instagram, these, uh, Hillary Clinton in the woods photographs. Oh, just right. Hillary hiking. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and there's this sort of ennui to them that, that I think you sometimes see in Kathy comics when she just exhausts herself or feels so defeated. It's, it, you know, interesting, broad, um, small intersections there. Right. That's yeah. really fascinating. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I hate to make that it feel so conceptual. I mean, one of the things I've been struggling with as an artist is, you know, while the election was happening, I was working on this Kathy project that's very, like, cerebral. And um, and then you have uh, a president-elect who's so openly violent and aggressive and hating of women that to, yeah. to think about women and gender in this sort of abstract, nuance, um, uh, intellectual way fe felt almost wrong to me. And it really, like, put my work on hold for a oh, while. Oh, really? Like here, wow. I'm, here I am proposing right. this sort of like huh. would-be feminism of Kathy comics and um, and my and the president has uh, rape accusations out on him yeah. and and uh, and yeah. tapes of him gloating about violence towards women and it just makes you think like wow, like the failure of feminism betrayed just, you know. Oh yeah. It actually repeatedly. reminded me um, kind of the response to Hillary Clinton of that tape that you played in our meeting, which was these shock jocks discussing how kind of reprehensible and disgusting Kathy Ooh, is. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. There's just some kind of like way this disgust and this like visceral dislike, not saying that there aren't issues with mm -hmm. Hillary Clinton or political candidates that are valid, but there is some 
something else that felt like more viscerally linked to her gender and her age. Right. Yeah, agreed. I mean, the same patterns of behavior, I think Hillary Clinton was a really easy target. You know, she, she's an easy target because she rendered her, her personality to, um, in my opinion, to chameleon-like. So one could mm -hmm. then target any insult at her. It's not her fault, though. I mean, she's, you it's know, not her fault, pow yeah. powerful, yeah. Um, white, privileged woman is going to get attacked. Yeah, definitely. Do you, Asher, do you have anything you want to add? Or? Is it not her fault? Uh, <laughs> well, I know. I, mean, I, didn't. I think okay. it's fair to be critical. Too. Yeah, I, think it's, it's I not mean, I, I like this image. I, I I occasionally like to joke about being like, "What will Hillary do now, though?" <laughs> <laughs> She's yeah. gonna cry her eyes out on a pile of money. Right. Yeah. Um, right. And I mean, I I felt strongly after the primary that like there was only I mean there were there was a, it's a two party system. We had real. There was one split second where I was like, I am with her, and her name is Jill Stein. But oh. the, <laughs> but no, really, like I'm I I. At, at that, I, yeah. I felt that way for like a split second at a moment before I felt like we were all on national platforms where there was, there was no there was actually no more local mm -hmm. like there wasn't mm -hmm. like an I'm in bed style I can cast a protest vote for Jill Stein and I can mm. talk about it I felt that way for like five seconds uh, where it was like this is a person who's much more aligned with my politics who has a much stronger history like advocating for progressive causes and who d d doesn't have all sorts of blood on her hands with all sorts mm -hmm. of different terrible issues mm -hmm. uh which i felt like hillary totally did mm -hmm. and um but at the same time once you know there <laughs> i felt that way for like two seconds in a fit of like uh immaturity i think coming to terms with the idea that like uh if you're expressing your grievance again like on a channel that might be half full of old michigan buddies or mm -hmm. whomever um, that like we all we all kind of have even in the smallest way sort of national platforms now, and uh, it, it's not responsible to uh, in a situation that was so dire um, to uh, cast to, a protest to, vote. Yeah, to cast a protest vote. Yeah, and so like you know I the, I have a, a, a tweet out there for Jill, but the uh, you know. Uh, ahead of that, the the, the first the first uh, debate between those two, I, I felt like very strongly like you know, th these are the options that we that we have, and at this point, you can either vote for someone who has sort of a bad track record, my two cents on Hillary, mm -hmm. uh, versus uh, uh, an unabashedly uh, bigoted public figure right. who uh, is who is yeah. running on a campaign of evil. Really <laughs> I agree. Yeah, <laughs> you know? definitely. I, I mean, definitely. I think. The most revealing time in this election was not um, was not you know the Trump versus Hillary saga. It was the Bernie versus Hillary saga. Totally. If you really want to look at you know where feminism is and what our misconceptions are, I mean, if you thought that intersectional feminism wasn't the feminism, mm -hmm. <laughs> well, that primary proved you wrong. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, well, I, I see that we don't, we don't have a ton of time to talk about it, but that was I think I where I where we could. Um, we could that's where that's where to go to reflect right as a white feminist as a feminist you know and you're saying hmm, what, what about this hillary candidate didn't work out mm -hmm, look right. at look at how she, you know why people chose to vote bernie over hillary right. see how those all those class and race issues are really actually bound together and how gender can't actually yeah. be the sole mobilizing force definitely um, that's very true yeah well, we are out of time, so we want to thank you guys so much for being here. It was really great to talk to both of you. I'm Maria Stabio. I'm Sonia Derman. And today we spoke with Amy Beecher and Joshua Smith. 
This is 2MF on Clock Tower Radio, clocktower.org. Thank you.